Let's talk a little bit of motor racing. It was just chaos yesterday on the island, on Phillip Island. They made uh, It was a masterstroke to move the main race to the Saturday. And also, we've just finished at the Circuit of the Americas in the F1 race where, uh, not surprisingly, Bad Max has won again on a tough day for the Aussies. But to keep us right up to date is SEN's motorsport expert, host of Gridwalk, SEN's Formula One show, Cam Van, uh, Van Den Duggan. Cam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. I was actually at uh, Phillip Island as part of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation GP TV team, and we nearly blew away yesterday <laughs> in our hosting position. It was incredible. Greg Russ would look like Mary Poppins floating over, over <laughs> turn one, but uh, it was it was wonderful that they made that call and we got a race, and what a race it was on Saturday with the lead changing at turn four on the last lap. And uh, a Frenchman, Joanne Sarko, getting his first ever MotoGP win. It was just a, a wonderful day, a wonderful race. And was it, um, you know, received very well right from the word go to, to uh, move the race forward today? Uh, well, it was certainly a shock. I was standing in the media centre when it all unfolded. In fact, I'd actually gone into the admin section and Frenet, who's the head of uh, comms for MotoGP and Dorna, the governing body of MotoGP, rolled in and said, we're having an emergency press conference. So I ran out immediately, being the good little journo I am, and told everybody. <laughs> and we all uh, we all ran in. And we kind of knew it was on the cards because the wind down at Phillip Island, particularly through Turn 1 and Turn 3, which are very high speed and extremely exposed, particularly winds off the ocean, um, they frighten the riders. These are some of the, the bravest men in the world. And Phillip Island has this presence, this aura that strikes fear in the heart of even the most brave. Um, we saw four years ago, or around 2019, winds of about 55 kilometres an hour knocking riders down. Well, we had forecasts early on that we were going to get up to 80 kilometres an hour. So whilst um, you know it wasn't you know received as well um, immediately, I think everyone saw the sense in it. And then come Sunday afternoon, we all went, you know what? Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a masterstroke in the end, wasn't it? Uh, look, give us a little bit about the Joe and Zarco story because, as Heels was saying, uh, we know it's it's been a you know it's been a long time since it, well it, he's never stood on the top of the podium in the Premier class, but everyone all the other riders might just seem so happy for him. Yeah, because he, he he look he, he was an up and comer. He was backflipping all the time in the in the earlier <laughs> classes, and we saw him backflip again uh, off the wall down. At, I think it was um, at the bottom of uh, Lukey Heights down at MG Corner. But um, 119 races, I think it was, that, that he's been in the premier class and hadn't had the win. And it was oh so close. The last lap, Jorge Martin, who was fighting Peko Banyaya for the championship win in Indonesia, he had actually got to the lead of the championship after the sprint race, then put the bike down. He was on a wave of uh, momentum. But he took the really risky choice of going for a soft rear tyre and hoping it would last. And at Phillip Island, tyre life is critical. The rest ran with the uh, with the, the, the much more uh, rigid compound, the medium rear, and uh, it paid off. But Jorge Martin was half a lap away from that win. But the one that was really interesting is Peko Bagnaya, who leads the championship in MotoGP. He nearly snuck through at turn four. If you go back and watch the replay, if not for Zarco just pinching on exit, Bagnaya would have won that race. It was just great to see three riders in contention halfway through the last lap. Yeah, it was um, thrilling this, this is a very popular track, Phillip Island, but it's so southern, isn't it? Is there pressure to 
to retain it every year in the schedule to get everyone from the northern areas uh, down to here, especially when it uh, is it can be exposed to winds like that. There was a question asked in the press conference of change of uh, change of year for for conditions, but I grew up at the Phillip Island Grand Prix circuit. My father's a life member there. It's been my home track, even though I don't live on Phillip Island. Um, it, it is. It is loved by the riders, and I can tell you, yes. weather-wise, it doesn't matter whether you turn up in February, June, or November. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. I always, since I was a little boy, have packed um, a raincoat <laughs> and sunscreen every time I go to Phillip Island. So I think, um, you know, Barry Sheen, the late great Barry Sheen, used to call it the gateway to hypothermia. But at the same time, you would uh, you could overheat just as easily. So the track is what brings them coming back every year. That track, yes. and also the work of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. They run a Formula One Grand Prix, which we've just seen at Circuit of the Americas, you mentioned before. Yeah. They also run the Phillip Island Grand Prix, uh, the Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix, an absolutely brilliant organisation that runs top-tier motorsports. So, um, you know, it, they, they also bring a little bit to the mix as well. Cool stuff. Hey, I, saw, I said at Hills, I saw Jack Miller pre-race with the likes of Wayne Gardner and Mick Dillon. It, it, it must be an extra buzz for an Australian being on the grid in the premier class and to have just the legend strolling by and saying g'day before he goes racing. Yeah, it, it's actually very cool. You know, just wandering the paddock as an Australian myself, obviously the Grand Prix being in our hometown, you know, wandering past Casey Stoner, having a chat to uh, Wayne Gardner, there's Mick Dillon. And Thriller Miller, I mean, this is one thing about the guy. He is he is such a cool guy that even though the race was off, and he, he made his comments public that he, he felt they could have raced. I think that's because he, he thought he stood more of a chance in those conditions. But when it was all called off and the fans were still standing there with no race, they turned up to watch only a sprint race. He crossed the track and went and signed autographs, I reckon, for a good two hours. He gave his boots. He took his boots off his feet and gave them to a young fan on the other side of the fence I think it's just a mark of the person that Jack Miller is that he has so much respect and admiration for the fans that, that turn up, regardless of the weather, to watch him race. Yeah, that's awesome. So, mate, what does he do? Does he stay with KTM next year? And, you know, or, or what, what's his future in the sport? Well, that's, that's the, the big move. He, he's made the call to go across to KTM. They probably had or were on for one of their best weekends. His teammate, Brad Binder, got onto the front row, was the highest starting position for KTM at Phillip Island. Jack's, Jack's bringing something special there. Um, I, I think that's probably the right place to go. Honda's going to be a long way away for the next few years. Um, Ducati's just been dominant this year. And if you can't have a seat on the right Ducati, and he, he left that team, um, then you, you want to build with a team that's on the rise. And I think KCM's the right place for him to be. Hey, do we move to the Gold Coast 500 now, the supercars? Cam, do you go to that next? I, I, uh, I, I did 12 years with supercars media, <laughs> but then uh, Formula One has been my focus in, in recent years. So I, I'm lucky enough that we've got the, the show uh, SEN that we go around Australia and New Zealand with uh, Formula One on Gridwalk. And I also get to call the Grand Prix in Melbourne and Singapore. And, and uh, oh, you know, there's, there's been a few phone calls from America and I'm, I'm pitching my services to uh, Miami. Uh, I know, Heels, you wouldn't mind jumping on that, jumping on a plane and going and watching some F1 in Miami or Vegas, would you? Oh, yeah, no, no that'd, that'd be all right, actually. <laughs> um, I've been to a couple of Formula Ones, but not seen too much. <laughs> what, um, what are you making? <laughs> no, that, what that, are you that, making? that sounds like a... a yeah, sorry, go for it. <laughs> what are you making of the Formula Ones at the moment? Is Mercedes making a bit of a comeback? How's it all sitting? Red Bull, McLaren, Mercedes, Ferrari. Yeah, I heard Pat off the top saying, you know, Mad Max, it was all stations normal. Well, it wasn't really today. It was only by just over a second Max Verstappen won from Lewis Hamilton. Wow. 
And if the team had made a strategy call to bring Lewis Hamilton in one or two laps earlier, he would have won that race. Max Verstappen was fighting uh, brake issues, but his team was on it with their uh, strategic calls. They went to a medium tyre. At the Circuit of the Americas, it can be quite a um, strategic race. There was no safety cars. There was no yellow flags out there. So it was a pure strategy race. Red Bull won that, and that's what got Max Verstappen over the line. Unfortunately, I know, Pat, you said at the top it was a dirty day for the Aussies. It really was. Oscar Piastri was a, a DNF after a first lap uh, incident where he uh, had contact with Esteban Ocon. Both of those cars, cars retired. And from a strategy call, Daniel Ricciardo, who's back, back on the grid, great to see the Aussie back, he unfortunately went for a one-stop strategy, and that just destroyed his race. So whilst the, the record books will say he stopped twice, that second stop was just a last-minute one to put on some soft tyres. He finished the last of the runners back in 17th. So strategy call, nothing to do with his pace. But, uh, you know, you've got to roll the dice sometimes when you're outside the top 10. Exactly right. How do you think Ricardo will be placed going forward? I mean, Piastri, the, the future looks so rosy for him, doesn't it? But what about Daniel? So Piastri is going to be a world champion. He is, he's got all the hallmarks of it. Give him the right car, a full year. I mean, he's a rookie, for goodness sakes. Yeah. And we're talking about this guy in contention. Daniel Ricciardo, other end of the spectrum. Eight, eight race wins he's had in his career. Um, what I can tell you from the paddock, within Scuderia um, AlphaTauri, uh, the team he races for at the moment, he jumped into arguably the worst car on the grid when he came back. Then he got injured. He's helping to develop and build that car for that team. His real chance is if Sergio Perez loses second place in the championship to Lewis Hamilton, which is a real threat. Mm -hmm. If that happens... I think Sergio Perez will be ousted from the team and it will most likely be Daniel Ricciardo that goes in. The reason I say Daniel Ricciardo goes in is there's a lot of chat that Red Bull wants Lando Norris. They're negotiating with Lando Norris to move out of McLaren into Red Bull to be teammate to uh, Max Verstappen at the end of his contract. Daniel Ricciardo, perfect driver to put in for a two-year stint uh, while they wait for Lando Norris to be ready. And I think Daniel would take that two years in a car that gives him a chance to make that nine or ten wins. Yeah, brilliant. All right, mate. Cam, really appreciate it. All your insight and knowledge. It's wonderful to chat to you. Thanks, guys. Host of SEN's Gridwork.